Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. This is Rashad Navidi. This is Kyle Timberlake. This is Brenton Williams. And this is, uh, we're going to do it live, uh, Jeremy Duvall. Thankfully, we just only got through six minutes of the recording, realizing that it, the recording hadn't started so i was preparing to uh, uh be admonished by rob by the time i finished the whole episode and realized that i wasn't recording but we only got through a couple minutes yeah as you heard i have some of the surge and destroy fellows on the show today we're going to talk a little gaming scene in socal we're also going to get into the riddle of steel uh, which is rashad's tournament and one of our big events in southern california coming up in the beginning of this next year so i'm really excited to have everyone on the show I know we had talked about it in our uh, uh, dress rehearsal that we just did, but I think it was really cool to see your uh, pictures from Christmas, Britain, and getting the youngster started early with uh, foam dice and D&D miniatures. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there were some of the D&D prepaints on on deep discount for Black Friday at my local store. So uh, we put him in his stocking, and he is obsessed with them and loves them and keeps asking what each one is. Uh, and I keep having to give him really awkward answers, like that's a boglin or that's a snow golem. <laughs> and my wife just looks at me like I'm insane. But yeah, he's he's already well down the nerd path, even at just under four parenting right. I mean, that was pretty cool. I mean, what what got me into gaming was having an older sibling who was really into gaming. Was that sort of did you guys have any older siblings or or parents that were into gaming, or do you think? We, it seems like now we have so many parents that have that are sharing games with their kids. And I think that's just kind of like now that our generation, right, Britain, are having kids, we're seeing a lot of that sort of passing that on. Like instead of your dad trying to teach you golf, it's like this is how you do a flank charge. Yeah, I, my my mom was an English teacher. So that was sort of like the halfway there. Like she introduced me to, you know, Narnia and Arthurian legends and a bunch of other stuff like that and then it was a small jump over to like dungeons and dragons but yeah now kids are just going to get the direct the main line from the nerd parents they're going to have you know five different dice sets before they're six years old and it's going to be great I'd, I'd love to see it what about you kyle was i know we we've heard a little bit of your background last time you were on the show but for those who haven't haven't listened to you on before how did you come to gaming uh it was kind of a uh a long road, and actually, I was—I was for the most part actively discouraged from miniature gaming and tabletop gaming in my teenage years. It was kind of, you know, my my family saw it as something that was beneath my age at the time. They didn't quite understand the complexity of games, so I, I went underground a bit. And I remember a conversation I had with my dad. I was 19 at the time, and he's like, "You're still playing those games?" And just like the disappointment in his face. And I was like, "Dad, I was the captain of the wrestling team. I'm in the military now." Like, what, you know, do you really think it's affecting me that much? And he's like, all right, cool. And he, he laid off at that point. And that's, for me, my miniature gaming really took off at a local game store when I was 17. And the group there, shout out to the Easter River Patrol. Uh, all the people who I'm still very good friends with uh, got me into miniature gaming and showed me the way from there. And uh, I haven't looked back since. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I had an older sister who loved gaming, and I remember we had Hero Quest and Battle Masters and some of the those early games. But I, I know that's how I was exposed to it is seeing like older kids doing gaming stuff. And for me, instead of being like, what are they nerdy doing? It was like, oh, wow, the older kids are doing all the cool stuff. So it was like immediately I wanted I wanted to game. Now, I know, Rashad, you spent some high school time and growing up in Germany. Was there like a gaming scene in Germany when you were in your teens? I think that's when you were in Germany, right? Yeah, for sure. There was a gaming scene. Um, we were playing a role playing game called the Schwarze Auge. It's called I think the translation is the black eye made by Westphalia Miniatures. That's the line I think Rob's using for his uh, halflings, right? And, From West, uh, Westphalia. Yeah, he gets those. Yeah, that's Westphalia. right. And it was a, it was a really cool pen and paper role playing game. But I would say my first introduction to like nerd nerdism was my aunt giving me The Hobbit, maybe age. That's really what what started it all. I want to say because when I read that book, I was like, oh man, mm-hmm. fantasy worlds are so cool. Obviously, The Lord of the Rings, and I did a lot of like uh, Arthurian that kind of stuff reading when I was a kid. I really liked those stories. They're on table, King Arthur and that kind of stuff. And it got me interested in fantasy. We were playing uh, Hero Quest a lot. I want to say that was one of the first tabletop games that reminds me of what we do that I was playing back in the day. I really loved that game. Funny how, you know, like Britain had literature, you did you did too. I mean, I know they've talked to, joked about how bad they are in Unplugged, but the first real books I read were the three dra- original Dragonlance novels. They, they took off that, you know, original uh, scenario. So I remember I read the Dragonlance novels, and then I saw later, like, that scenario pack of that adventure. And I was like, ah, oh, well, this is just like, this reminds me of that book I read. And then all of a sudden, it's like the exact same things. But it's interesting how you kind of, uh, different people uh, ha- have come to gaming. And I know Rashad and I, we've talked a lot about it. It's amazing to me. Uh, like, when you go to a, a Kings of War tournament, how many, like, super articulate successful people there are along with all of the sort of awkwardness that i guess is stereotypical to gaming but i mean we have like doctors and lawyers and brain surgeons and like all sorts of just really smart people who have gravitated towards gaming i think it's a really interesting uh pool of people you get when you go to a tournament sure yeah um before we get into talking about uh the surgeon destroy scene and get into real steel it's been a while since we've had these fellows on the show so um let's do a little bit of hobby slash games that we've been playing lately so uh let's start with you kyle what have you been up to sure i was trying to finalize um my dwarf farm with all the changes and i made a really big change initially uh during play testing and uh, walked that back. So less than the amount of miles with the paint, but I made another recent big change with uh, my shield breaker uh, setup. I just I've tried shield breaker regiments ten ways to Sundays and just can't get them to quite work the way I want. So test it out in hor- horde form now and see how that works. Uh, everybody's still on foot walking around. Uh, dwarves got two feet from their god goddess right in Kings of War uh, lore. So. Why do they need wings or more than two feet? Have you looked at the um, – uh, I played against it for the first time the other night, the Free Dwarf Shield Breaker formation? No, I haven't played against uh, – I played against the uh, Free Dwarf list a long time ago from a buddy of mine, and he did. He took the all-scouting, all-throwing dog yeah. doom list, and that was an uh, interesting turn too, to say the least. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, but I haven't I was... played against the new Free Dwarf uh, shenanigans. Yeah. Shield breakers have like nimble and, and uh, super fast like for a dwarf army with all the scout and stuff. If but they, they're still if defense they, four though, right? That's true. <laughs> I mean, but if but if they get the first turn, all of a sudden you have dwarves in like the middle of the board. 
Yeah. Um, just interesting dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, awesome. And then last time I saw you, we were, we were, uh, uh, playing some dead zone and you had that, you had got that big box of random stuff. You've been working on any dead zone stuff. Yeah, actually I just finished up. I got in some, um, jump pack that kind of looked like the Elysian dropship, uh, drop troopers from, uh, 40 K like their grab shoots. And I got the uh, Les Grognards uh, plastic kits from uh, War Games Atlantic. Uh, so I'm using those as my GCPS guys. And I built up my um, uh, Forge Fathers, the uh, Space Dwarfs, uh, as well. So I have, between those two armies, I think I have like eight or nine different viable lists I can play with at any one time. By me and Rashad, we played at least eight games at his place uh, over like a, a week. And everything seemed pretty fun and viable. Nice. Um, and I lost all of them. You won the last one. Yeah, I just know we've been having a lot of fun yeah. with that at like Friday nights of tournaments. It's a great like beer and pretzels game. You know, it's not strategy and stuff, but it's like a, a very cool, just lightweight skirmish. Yeah, what's nice is it's really easy to pack in with your other Kings of War stuff. It takes up so little extra space. You can just bring an army. And if you don't use it, whatever, you don't have to go out of your way. And uh-huh. if you do use it, fantastic. And I was surprised how yeah. much... At first, I didn't think I'd like it, but the fact that it's on like a grid system actually makes it like really easy to just start moving your guys. Yeah, and it's a grid system, where you, but it's not like Battletech or other grid systems where it's like you're in that grid and it's more of a concept of you in the grid. With uh, Dead Zone, you can move your model within that that square and line of sight still matters. So even though it's only one square your model's in moving it within that square is really important to where your final placement is. So it, it, it takes away all the dumb measurement arguments, but it still gives you that ability that, that player, um, agency, uh, agency. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the player agency to, to do, to have an effect on the game. What about you, Rashad? What have you been working on? I know you were really excited about Den Zone. Um, have you, uh, got any work on that? Still working on nature or what, what have you been up to? Yeah, both. Um, I'm, I am really excited about Dead Zone. Um, one of the things that, you guys didn't mention was the three-dimensional aspect of it. So, like the one of my favorite units is the Leafers. Uh, they're an unlocking for the plague models, and they're really good because they can go up or down like without any penalties. So they treat certain cubes as like just you know shortcuts basically. So I really enjoy playing with those. I am working on Dead Zone, but like it's on the it's on the back foot right now. I'm more focused again on nature, and I'm also like stuck a little bit with nature because what I had in mind. I want to say two years ago when I started buying the models doesn't really work that well in you know, the, the current game anymore. Um, so I have to rethink my list and see if I can come up with something better. I haven't been able to play competitively with it on a high level. I don't get very many wins with it yet, and I have some really hard matchups. So I got to think about how I'm going to continue building it or what I'm adding. And I've been thinking about a Horde of Centaurs. I have, a, I think... Yeah, three-quarter of the model, I, I would just have to buy a few more and could put that in. And I really like that unit thematically as well. Modeling choices uh, and options that you have on like a cab horde base is always nice. I'm excited about that. So do you think you're going to stick with nature next year, even if you if you switch it up unit-wise? Do you think that's still going to be your next army that you work on? Or is there anything else in the, the back burners that you've kind of been excited by? Uh, I always like to like spend some time with an army after I build like a first version of it. And then I'd like to add models so that I don't overwhelm with my, you know, myself with like a hobby project. 
So then maybe for a tournament, I can always just add a unit or something like that. And I keep doing that for a while. I'm in that sense, a very slow hobbyist. I'm not planning to, you know, make an army every six months or a year. I just, I can't dedicate enough time to it to do that. But I like to always keep it up. So I think I'm going to be working on nature for a while. Well, what about you, Britton? What have you been up to? Yeah, so I moved houses, which kind of put all the hobby stuff on the back burner as I had to pack and like pack away all the paints, pack away the whole painting table and such. Um, So that's the bad news. There hasn't been a ton of progress on the ogres. Still working on them. The good news is I have a little more space in the new house for it. So I can be a little more organized and sort of stretch out some of the stuff (laughs) and be a little less cramped with projects on top of me. Uh, And then the other thing is, uh, it's funny, we've already sort of mentioned it. Um, I got the new version of Hero Quest from my wife and my kid for Christmas. It was one of my Christmas presents. So I'm sort of going to do the thing I promised to do with all kinds of projects and never do, but I'm really going to do it this time, which is paint up all the components, paint up all the monsters, paint up the heroes, the doors, the desks, like all that stuff. And then at some point get together with, with, folks and play hero quest like when we were kids and this is sort of the new quote version but it's like of the old game right just kind of yeah like a re- reprinting of it almost i did i did like the lightest amount of research on this so someone at home is probably going to be like shouting at their iphone as i say this <laughs> my understanding is the rules are basically the same like they made a couple small changes or whatever to update them but it's it's the same game the miniatures are all new you, you can love that or hate that. I do love the classic miniatures, but these are, are sort of more modern and in some cases better, which will be blasphemous for people. But, like, they're pretty cool. I'm not going to be doing, you know, award-winning paint jobs on them. I'll, I'll paint them up, try and paint them up quick and cool and just have a painted set of Hero Quest, something I never had as a kid. We always had, like, three orcs painted and the Barbarian, and that was it. <laughs> so just, yeah, get a full painted thing together and run through some scenarios it, it should be a good time yeah that's awesome i mean i loved hero quest that was yeah we'll my, play yeah that was one of just the first miniatures i ever owned and i saw some people i think dan king i show was in the titans chat had picked that up and was showing some of the new miniatures and they they look pretty good actually yeah i you know it's not the classic aesthetic like they're such iconic figures that it's it's hard to say good bad better worse but I like I like the updates. They look fun to paint. They'll paint up easy, and yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, I, I did the models from the Hellboy game with like contrast and some some uh, dry brushing and a little like line highlighting on Hellboy himself or whatever. But it really is something, right, to play a board game with like painted miniatures. It is really nice. Yeah, it's it's the dream. It's yeah. the the like I because as a kid I you know. I was garbage at finishing anything. So whenever we, even when I played like 40K and stuff, it was like with mismatched armies and paint schemes changed halfway through and just like terrible stuff. So it's, I'm really trying to like do it right this time. Like go back, paint all the components and and have a cool looking base set. And then I'll I'll worry about any of the expansions. So, So that'll take up some time. Yeah, Hillary and I got for uh, for Christmas, we got the Terraforming Mars big box, 
which uh, if you're not familiar audience, Terraforming Mars is like a really, really great board game where you are surprisingly trying to terraform Mars. And you you play like a corporation and you have resources and you're 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 trying to affect either the temperature, make oceans or uh, increase oxygen. So essentially the sort of benchmark things that you would need to terraforming to terraform Mars. And as you're doing that, you're getting points or whatever. And they did a Kickstarter where it's a box that's big enough to fit all the expansions, but it has like upgraded 3D printed tiles for all the stuff that you can build. So they're pretty cool. And and you could tell like the cities, the, the, the bottom of the 3D print is orange, right? To make it look like Mars. But I was like, ah, I think some maybe some red texture paint might look pretty good. And I was like, no, I can't. I got to paint an army. I can't be painting all the pieces of this. Uh, not even a miniature board game, or a, a chit and tile board game with 3D printed pieces. And I was like, I gotta put some lights in the little windows. So you gotta um, pick your battles. I know I ha- you have to, man. Like I said, like I I, I got uh, I don't have that many years left in my life, so we gotta decide what we're gonna spend that time on. But I've been working on the Twilight Kin still. I've started to work, as I mentioned on the show, some of the stuff that you um, are going to be gracious enough to loan me some of your old school Dark Elf models for Riddle in February. But I'm working on uh, what you don't have. So I've been working on the basing and the wing recipe for my gargoyles. So I've been working on that. Um, I got the basing for both units pretty much done. I'm waiting on... 3D printing to get me my mind screeches, but I've seen some pictures of those. I'm having um, all that stuff printed out. I'm really excited, so hopefully I'll be getting that uh, next week. But but I'll, I've been getting a bunch of games in. Rashad and I have had a bunch of games. Uh, I've got some games in, um, you know, with Tom and Ryan Munsell and just kind of the usual cast of characters who can play at night. You know, on the West Coast, it's tough for us because by the time we're ready to play, it's 10, 11, 12 midnight with the other time zones. So uh, it's tough to find an opponent. But um, but it's nice to get the games in. Oh, like, totally. Uh, you know, I've, I haven't played much since uh, the Clash release, actually. I've had have maybe six or seven games um, under my belt, most of them against you. But uh, it's been good because, like, I would have been super rusty if I, let's say, I don't, I don't have any tournaments planned, but even running one soon. Um, I want to sort of like have played in the meta a little bit before, uh, you know, just to be aware of questions and things like that that could come up. Yeah. So before we we get into Riddle, let's talk a little bit about Surge and Destroy. So I know you guys have, you know, with everything that's been going on, just started to have some some game days at at Scott's new renovated place. Yeah. So I didn't go to the most recent one. Um, I think Brinton, Brinton was there. Kyle also had uh, wrestling practice, I think, that day. So it was uh, scheduled in an unfortunate way where we couldn't all um, be together. But the previous one was awesome. I uh, posted some pictures of that one on Surge and Destroy. That's the one where we saw Britain's beautiful Persian army the, that had a lot of like different colors in it. Those Gucci playing... pajamas. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so golden and silver lined Gucci pajamas. They know how to, how to roll. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, it, it was nice to see a, a, a human army that's that colorful. And I think, you know, without me you know being iranian or anything like that like i I know a few iranian artists and a lot of the art from there is very colorful so he hit that very well um and it's nice to see a cool representation of like what colors from there could look like and then also scott's army looked awesome because uh they were playing against one another and uh scott also has a human army but it's the pirate 
army that won uh, player's choice uh, two years ago at Masters. Uh, so yeah, all around, it was a great game day. The pad is amazing. Yeah, it was a, uh, like a fun uh, game day at Scott's. It's just a bigger area. So it was nice as, you know, previous times we've been there, like sometimes people are upstairs and some people are downstairs and kind of had like this flow going through. But having everyone in the same spot just made it more congenial atmosphere and then uh, we watched the ufc fights afterwards too and, get, and got scott into the ufc fights so he's like when is the next time the ufc fight's gonna happen <laughs> yeah he wanted to connect it again he loves hanging out it's awesome um that's a, that's a great thing it's a beautiful game room they're a great host it's a beautiful place but above all like scott just and Kristen, they just want to hang out and do all sorts of things so i've been climbing with them and they always ask me to go again. Scott does archery. They're very interesting people in that sense. Like they have a lot of like hobbies that they pursue on a continuous level. Scott is an architect and plays board games. Probably one of our more prolific, I would say, hobbyists in the sense of like what he can do in a three-dimensional way, like in a sculpting way almost, right? As an architect on the base, a good painter also. And yeah, Kristen always tries to accommodate everybody as much as she can when we go over there. She makes uh, lunches and dinners, so always nice being there and now the game room is just it's like if you go to in and out and you get a double double animal style and you get an extra cheeseburger because you're extra hungry and then you get the neapolitan shake on top of it it's got everything that you want plus a shuffleboard mm. sort of importantly this is in southern california orange county um so if anyone is in the sort of Southern California area or is visiting, um, there's a monthly game day. Um, it's posted in the Facebook group for Search and Destroy. Just look up Search and Destroy um, and you can join the Facebook group, get any information about it and details on how to attend and come by and get some games in. So, yeah, it's been great. And Brenton, I'm going to I'm going to give you this one moment of carte blanche you can do how great is it to be living in a scene with like more than just jeremy to play with well speak, I your, miss, tru- speak your truth i miss playing jeremy <laughs> but it is nice to to show up and have multiple tables going and i'll say the other thing that's nice is like i had to miss the latest one and it was really nice to be like i can miss one because there'll still be plenty of people there and there'll be another one next month and there'll be other people playing in San Diego between now and then. It's like I would feel so bad about missing any of the events we sort of organized in SF because it was like only a few of us going. Um, and now it's like it's that weird feeling of like I can miss things because we're not propelling the scene ourselves. We're just I can just be part of it. Yeah, it's like, oh, Jeremy, I can't make it tonight. Oh, that's fine, bro. Don't worry about it. And then it's me looking out the window and it's raining and I have one tear <laughs> coming down my face because I have no one else to play. So I jest, but I'm happy because uh, for those that don't know, Rashad and Kyle are sort of L.A., north of L.A., and then you're down in San Diego. Um. So, have you guys been still kind of going to Eddie's games in San Diego? Are you guys been doing any San Diego game days? Yeah. yeah so we have a new uh, game day set up uh, the 16th at Eddie's, Eddie's games. Yeah, we have. Um, as Kyle said, the 16th we're organizing a Southern California one to make some of the Scotch crew come down. Um, so that's at Eddie's games in Miramar, which is a really cool game store. Big, well-stocked, cover all kinds of ranges, including Kings of War. 
uh, and they have a good, pretty open gaming space in the back. But usually, like, we have a couple of hardcores down here, Wade and Beav, who play, like, ever, almost every weekend at At Ease. And I've gotten a few games in with them as well. You just have to sort of schedule the time and schedule a table. But, yeah, it's it's been really good. Um, so we're trying to organize it so that we get one sort of Orange County game day per month and one SoCal game day or San Diego game day per month. Once things sort of, we get through the holiday period and people's schedules open up again, that's the that's the hope. Awesome. Well, I know I still plan on wanting to come down. Um, I was hoping since I've been on vacation, I was going to try to get up to Reno for a game day, but like driving through the Sierras, <laughs> like not a good idea. Uh, and I'm not a big snow person, so I canceled it. But you know, I've come down in, in the past for like a gaming weekend. We did it for my bachelor party, which was super fun. So I guess that's the one nice thing in today's world is that you can get places relatively easy. But yeah, anyone in the Southern California or even Southern Mid-California range or even Northern California, make sure you you check out the um, Kings of War West Coast Masters page or the check out the Surge and Destroy Facebook group. A bunch of good group of guys. Well, awesome. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back on the other side, we'll talk all things Riddle of Steel. We'll be right back. Ah! Do you take delight in playing with friends and their toys in a safe place free of judgment? Countercharge after dark. It's where magic happens. Check the show notes and Facebook group announcements for the Discord link. This is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. So I'm really excited to talk to Rashad and the Surgeon Destroy guys today about the Riddle of Steel. Uh, one the of- Riddle of Steel! Crom! Yeah. I say to hell with you, Crom! <laughs> uh, one of my favorite tournaments. Uh, just a really, really awesome event. Uh, sort of Rashad's brainchild. So Rashad, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of the the origin of Riddle of Steel. You know, its history, kind of how many years have you had it, or, or talk a little bit about to the uh, to maybe someone who's not heard of the tournament, sort of its its core aspects. The Riddle of Steel. About three or four years ago, we came up. It was not just myself. It was uh, I want to say me, Scott, Mike Grant at the time talking about, you know, how what should a tournament be like? Should it be themed and we talked about California and what makes it thematic. And, you know, movies is one of the things that is very characteristic of uh, Los Angeles and California. And we all love Conan. We all love the Riddle of Steel and we love the, the movies and uh, Frazetta. We love the art. Most people I know in the hobby are very connected to it. And there's a there's like this, the mating call is accepted anywhere you, you know, you go, ah, everybody knows and response to it. So um, we were thinking, why not, you know, theme a tournament around it um, with characters from the movie and from the universe in general. It began with making scenarios that are sort of based on scenes in the movie, but then we also incorporated specific characters in those scenes into the scenarios uh, to make it just every scenario a little bit more memorable and distinguish itself from the next in terms of like the characters you'd be using 
and give it a little bit of flavor because one thing we always uh, talked about back in the day about Kings was that once you play certain scenarios a few times, it's nice to shake things up and maybe have a little bit of a twist here there after you play the game for a while. I think it's good for you know most games to have a little bit of a shake up and fluff always adds to it as well for me. So like if I can create a little bit of like a backstory and throw you into like a a, a picture we paint, uh, kind of like a dungeon master, then it, it it feels really cool and you know you can be creative with it and see if people like it and how characters work out and game design a little bit yourself. So I think that's how we took the riddle as an opportunity to sort of like make it different in that sense of uh, theme and change to scenarios and characters. Yeah, I think you hear sometimes you hear uh, famous musicians who are like, oh, I wrote that song in five minutes or I just played the tune on a piano and it just worked. And there's something about like a Conan themed tournament and just like like you said, it's just Conan and that artwork in that movie is so central to like so many of our lives who have been into fantasy wargaming. It's just a theme that just like it made sense right away, right? Like it's just like, oh, of course we're going to do a Conan themed tournament. It just makes sense. Yeah, everybody loved the name. Yeah, it was. I think it was a a good move, and also you know, I mean, we play the Conan music when we start our you know the, the conan theme is being played when we're playing our first games and such and you know all of our awards are named after um you know certain things in the in the movie um yeah so it's, it's nice I, I think everybody when we're when when we meet for the riddle everybody's excited about the conan theme i think that's a driving factor for the riddle of steel I mean, I know, Bryn, you're a big Frank Frazetta guy. I know that you and Kyle Wright went to the, his museum at the Northeast Masters. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did the crazy track of like, I know, let's drive two and a half hours into the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, from the middle of nowhere, upstate New York, the day before a tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was awesome. We saw all a bunch of the art in person, and I loved it. Yeah, for, for me, like, when I heard about Rashad's tourney, um, and that it was Riddle of Steel, what the theme was, even just the name. It's it's one of those situations. I don't know if you've had it where like you stop and you're like, damn it, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> like it's like I wish I wish I had been involved in the beginning of that because it is such a sort of core cool idea. Is like Conan theme tourney. Who doesn't love Conan? Let's do this. So yeah, I'm I'm. A huge admirer of the theme. I love the pack. I love the sort of energy and spirit it has. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it uh, and just wish I had more involvement in it because I have none. So, well, you're you're now going to be very involved in it. So, like you know, I'm very looking, very much looking forward to that as well because yeah. you have expertise in running tournaments and yeah. So a I, lot think of this, ideas I think about this ideas of art. I think this year with the the increasing amount of people, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but it, it looks like you're going to be helping kind of on the day of Brinton this year for Riddle. Yeah, I'm, I'm the day of wedding coordinator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, basically just trying to take some of the logistics um, mm-hmm. and sort of day of matchup scoring terrain, whatever I can do to allow Scott to be the best host he can be and Mm -hmm. Rashad to be the awesome like tournament 
you know, face that he can be. The, the hype man. Rashad is the hype man. <laughs> it's basically. Thank you guys. Trust me, being the hype man. You great. are the hype man, man. Basically, no, I'm a. I'm I'm an introverted cave troll at heart, so put put me with scoring and matchups and that stuff, and I'm I'm happy to just try and help that stuff run smoothly. And and, and Rashad is both right. a lover and a fighter, so he can love the people under the table and then crush them, <laughs> like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> no, it's great to have help because like the previous ones, we usually and we have much larger numbers this time than any time before. So like previously, the Riddle of Steel was you know, between 10 to 15 players. We've even had one where we only had nine players, so had to play as a 10th player. And it wasn't very pleasant to play in the same tournament that you are also running. Um, I think it's much easier on the TO and the players if you're, um, even if it's just ringing, if you are if you have the time to walk around and answer questions and deal with rules issues and that kind of stuff, because it always comes up in a competitive tournament. We will have a pretty competitive field, I think, this time. So looking at who's coming. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really nice to have Britain's help. But also, I think Britain is a great help. All of you guys have been in the sense of, like, we've written a few characters for this and a few scenarios. And we've constantly had input from different people about how we would like to do the scoring, how we would like to for characters to work. Are their scenarios playable or are they a little bit too much? Are they too little? So it was really nice to get everybody's feedback. So... Both you, Brenton, Kyle, um, Scott, uh, you know, you, Jeremy, everybody's had input on how, you know, we're we're going to design this. So that was really nice to get that. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Why don't you uh, t- about the sort of the logistics of events, the event, and let's start with the scenarios themselves. You know, often when you're when you go to a theme tournament, the uh, scenarios is the real uh, fertile ground for you to do really fun thematic thing things. But we've all been to like those tournaments where the scenario is a, the uh, page, the you know the rules for the custom scenario is a page long, which is never fun to try to figure out on the day of a tournament. So why don't you speak to a little bit of uh, us about sort of what your philosophy was about designing the scenarios for Riddle of Steel, and maybe give us one or two of your favorite ones. Sure, that that sounds like a good idea. The scenarios, so uh, you know, it's a good thing you mentioned. It's very hard to get everything on one page so if you have characters and the scenario is different and you still have to sort of let people know how to score this at the end of their game uh, you have to be uh, very precise about what you do I want to actually thank Riley Nadeau for um, visibly Riley for um, helping me in editing this he's a professional editor and he did a splendid job um, in making sure that it's a little bit more grammatically correct um, spelled correct and also edited the right way. So I want to thank him for that. Um, we focused on taking the king scenarios and then changing them up a little bit. Um, we sort of like modeled them after certain um, encounters in the movie. So like the first one would be a path to freedom of glory, and it's uh, the encounter with uh, between Conan and the Witch of the Woods. So it's uh, where she expects him to. Uh, you know, give give her a baby in return. I don't exactly remember if it was information or what it was, but uh, yeah, he wanted to know about the snakes. That's what it was, the two snakes facing each other. So um, the first fight basically is scenario one, a path to freedom of glory uh, and glory. And uh, it goes something like this before rolling to off the two sides, 
place one objective marker or valued at one point in the exact center of the board, place then roll off and each place three objective markers within 12 inches of the center line valued one, two, and three points. So the difference is this is basically a pillage, but your objective tokens can have different values other than just being one, two, or three. So the scenario is easy to score. Um, other than that, the, the idea is you, you can quickly get into it. It's not too difficult to understand how the scenario plays because you will have um, extra characters to play with who do a lot of things. So I, we didn't want to go too overboard with altering the scenario that we play. But one thing I always enjoyed was the idea of having maybe multiple scoring points or values for different scenario um, objective tokens. So when you play pillage, one could be worth three, one could be worth two, one could be one one. And then the center one we obviously said is one. So that would be interesting actually because the lowest value would be in the center. And I always wonder what that does to the game. Uh, do people play more on the outside of the board? Does it change the way the armies work and, and stuff? But I think it's not overboard. Um, and for that scenario, you what we do at the riddle is after deployment and scout moves have been completed, both players will be six. And the winner either picks and deploys their special hero first or makes this, the decision whether to go first or second. So you can't do both. You either pick if you go first or second or you pick your um, special character first. Okay, and this and this is after all the scouting, like so kind of normal where you would roll for first turn in a game. Um, you're just in that role, you're choosing the turn or which of the two characters that are available for that scenario to pick. Exactly. Okay. And, and the characters are, I mean, we could get into some of them. I could give some details about some of them. Um, the tournament pack is also going to be posted um, probably by the time this is airing. And um, it's already done, so before that, very likely. If, and if we get into the characters, some may be um, heavier on the combat side, some may be heavier on the casting side. Mm -hmm. So um, for this first scenario, which is a modified pillage, we have uh, Conan. And uh, he's infantry, speed six, hits on a three up, melee three, defense five, six attacks, and his nerve is dash 15. He's an individual who inspires himself. He's mighty, elite, crushing strength three. He has dualist and spell word. His special rules are prayer to Krom. So once per game at the beginning of a melee phase in which he is attacking an enemy unit, Conan may pray to Krom. On doing so, he regains D3 plus two wounds lost early in battle and the very inspiring special rule for the remainder of the game. Additionally, if you do not listen to hell with you, uh, once per game, Conan may resent the gods for not being pleased enough by his valor. As such, at the beginning of any melee phase, Conan may choose to double his attacks until the end of in the ensuing melee phase. So he gets to double his attacks once and he gets to heal himself once mm. and become very inspiring with his abilities. Well, and the best thing you get to you get to say uh, at the top of your lungs in your best Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation during the game of "I pray to you, Kram," or my right. favorite one is "I say to hell with you," you know. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody gets to pray to Kram, and mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, some, one I'm of the curious, you know, about. I'm curious what <laughs> Kyle and Britton think. I know for me, I love custom scenarios whose uh, which its root is in a, a scenario that we already know, right? So it's it's dominate, but this, or it's pillage with a little bit of this. And maybe that's like 
the cheap way to go. I just like those just seem to work. It has a core that a skeleton that I'm familiar with, but just with some like fancy frosting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm good with whatever a, a TO wants to do as long as it's sort of fun. And <laughs> it's, it's fun and makes a good game. Um, I think basing them closely on the existing scenarios with slight thematic tweaks is a really, really great way to sort of de-risk the process. Like, you know you have a pretty good scenario to begin with, and then you're just making a small tweak to make it thematic. So I think it's a great way to go about doing it. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan, too, of just slight tweaks to, to scenarios to give in theme to the tournament. Um, not to not go too crazy with stuff. And special characters, too. Uh, you know, we... we Months ago, we were all talking about these special characters and going over things. And for the most part, a lot of them are based on actual stuff in the uh, it's already existing Kings of War with some tweaks to make it more Conan themed or, or things like that. So we're not starting from a a point of fantasy. Like there's some terms out there, and I don't want to disparage them. People love them, but like when they have like make your own dragon or have like this. And some armies benefit greatly from that, and other armies don't when they don't have that as part of their things and it kind of incentivizes list tailoring, but with each scenario having different characters uh, and you have a choice between, you don't know which character you end up with it. It kind of helps keep people toned down a bit on, you know, keep a more tournament normal list than kind of go crazy into, into the uh, tournament scenarios or or the tournament characters. And first, first turn is huge, right? So oftentimes it can be really big. So if you win that role being like, well, I really want this character, but I really want to go first. I mean, it's a real choice that you have to make as opposed to here's just your big stompy dragon. Bring it with you. Not that that's bad, but I'm saying it it means that part of the flavor of the tournament is you trying to strategize and think about in the moment what you have to do. Yeah, that's a great it's it's great to have a choice now. It's like, do I want first turn really or do I really want this character that fits my army better? It it gives a a, uh, reasonable choice for a lot of people to make at that point which is another cool thing and i know i'm curious uh, one of my favorite riddle of steel scenarios is one i always talk about which is the the tree of woe which is the scene where conan's on the tree and in the past that's been a dominate scenario but the very center of the board there's a tree that causes dread is that scenario in the pack for this year rashad totally it's so funny you actually mentioned it because i was going to mention this one next yeah, it's the Tree of Woe. The Tree of Woe is placed at the exact center of the table. It is a tree that is open terrain, so you do have a terrain piece, um, which I'm really excited about that. Uh, Scott's awesome at uh, 3D printing stuff. He's been doing it for years now, and he also he already has like a huge repertoire of really nice terrain. So does Brinton. So by combining the two resources of these two guys, we have really beautiful table setup, and we are having we are printing. Uh, and we already have a certain amount of like dead trees that are going to be placed in the center, uh, exact center um, for this scenario. So you're actually fighting around Conan uh, while he's on the tree. And you have Subutai available and Thorgrim in the scenario. Subutai being more of a shooty range character, Thorgrim being more of like a close combat melee type uh, character. And then the, like you said, the tree of woe causes uh, a minus one. Uh, it applies a minus one to waiver and break values when taking nerve checks after a close combat. So if you're within the 12 inch circle of dominate at the same time, you're, you basically are at a minus one to your nerve and wave for CC. 
uh, not for shooting, but for close combat, you will be weakened basically if you're around a, a tree. Which is interesting, right? Because in Dominate, you're trying to get to the middle, but in this scenario, the closer you get to the middle, the more freaked out you get because Conan's on a tree. So it's just like a super fun, flavorful way to Conanify a scenario, I think. If you want to hear about the characters for this, for example, Subutai and Thorgrim. So Subutai is easy. is very similar to like a Master Hunter Speed 6, uh, melee 3, range 3, defense 4, 5 attack, 13-15. But he has basically 30-inch ranged uh, arrows that have piercing 1. So he's very similar to Master Hunter, and he has a rule called Master Tactician. You may redeploy one of your units that does not have the scout special rule when you deploy Subutai. So basically, when you deploy him, you can redeploy one of the units. This could be really interesting for, like, let's say, a very elite army that needs to have a hammer on a different side or, like, a tarpet. So this could be interesting, right? Yeah, again, your the special character is not in and of itself broke broken or, like, just a beat stick. It's giving – they're giving you, like, an interesting choice. Like, that whole redeploy, maybe that's something you think is really good. So if you roll that, you roll and you win that roll, you're like, okay, well, I, I'm for sure going to take this guy. Um, as opposed to picking if you go first or not. So that's cool. It could be awesome, but at the same time, I think it's a fine line of, because he's pretty shooty as well, and it's always difficult to add certain characters to certain uh, play styles, because it could tip it just over a little bit and make it not enjoyable. So we try to remain in that maybe below 200 points and maybe not Morgoth broken, but pretty cool, yeah. you know? And I had so, a lot of feedback for these. I don't know if the, sorry, uh, Jeremy, I don't know if no, they're go perfect, but um, I think I think they're pretty good. Some may be better than others, but again, you can exchange that versus do you want to go first or second in certain scenarios. When there's like a three-point obje- objective token, like going second and control may be more valuable, you know? If you have three flyers, <laughs> who knows? And then are we talking we're five games, like a, a sort of standard three games on day one, two games on day two, or what's the, the game breakout going to be? Exactly. We want to have it relaxed. So the nice thing about Riddle is it's going to be at Scott's uh, private residence, which means we have uh, 13 tables as our maximum set up there. We've had uh, 10 or 11 at previous tournaments, so we're pretty confident we can do it. Um, with the use of the downstairs space on top of the game room on top uh, and, and, and the, on the top floor. I think what's nice about it is that we get to spend the whole day there, Kristen's cooking, and then if we want to go out for dinner at night, we may do that on Friday and Saturday night, depending on how people feel. Uh, if people want a board game and rather stay in, we can always order food. So um, I, I like the I like the fact that it's at a you know residence rather than it being in a public space, so which makes it really familiar. I mean, we just came from, you know, Jeff Swan's tournament, the Living Legends, and it was hands down one of the best tournaments I've ever went to because all of us were constantly in like somebody's house, hanging out, talking, uh, drinking. We watched, <laughs> we watched the the first four or five episodes or three or four episodes at the time of the Wheel of Time was out on Amazon. So we watched that in Mark Cox's hot top. I was hanging out with the brawlers. It was uh, is hands down one of the best times um, at a tournament, and it was partially due to it being at a house. So I'm really excited about that that we all get to hang out at the house throughout the whole weekend and get to like get away when we feel like it, but we don't really have to. 
Yeah, as a as a TO, I know you've run a lot of t- uh, tournaments, Britain, and is sort of in that mind. What what do you think maybe uh, some of the advantages of, of running an event at a house like that? Is it just sort of the flexibility or the the ease, or sort of having like a boutique event at a, a house? Or what do you think about? Because I know you know Mike Atkins has Vanguard at his house, or you know people who have the space. It's not an unheard thing to have a private residence tournament. Which we still owe him a visit, by the way. We got to go to uh, Bangor GT. Yeah, I mean it's it's a great way to run an event. I am a big fan of a, a big and varied event scene, where you have sort of the classic hotel ballroom or like hall GT. You have convention GTs. You have events at people's private houses like this. You have events at distilleries like Jeff Swan's event. Um, you have them at clubhouses, sort of like BCB was run. Um, I think they all have different sort of advantages and disadvantages, and it's all adding to the flavor of that particular event. Um, Riddle of Steel is a very narrative event. It's a fun, it's about getting together, having a great time around this sort of theme that we all love. So I think it's perfect for um, like a private venue for a house like Scott's, where you can be sort of hosted and taken care of and not have to worry about any extra coordination or logistics and just sort of be with your friends in a cool environment, a welcoming environment that's fun to hang out in that has sort of everything um, and just be there in a relaxed vibe. This isn't a 80 person GT where you're looking at the most competitive lists and most competitive people and that, that fight for first is the thing that's most important period. This is and a different I, I, kind of I event. Wish, yeah, totally. I wish we had like at some point, maybe 40 or 60 players. Um, I, we are currently capped at 26. We could have maybe even got 30 players this year, which I would have never believed we could do, but, uh, it's it's really nice to get the support from Reno and the Pacific Northwest. And a, a lot of people from Texas are coming out. Uh, Keith Conroy is coming out. Really excited about having him with us. Uh, Mark Cox is coming out. Jeff Swan's coming out. Todd Serpico. So I'm really, really excited about how many uh, different players we have from different um, regions come in. Ryan Munsell is coming from the Pacific Northwest with Riley and Doe. And we have the Reno guys coming. I'm really excited about Blake Robertson, Nick Murray, Zach Pierce has come in, Sean Polka. Uh, yeah, we, we have a, a really good group. But I think it's, a, it's an advantage when you can host at a private residence when you're below certain numbers. And I think we couldn't really do it if, if we had 40 players or so. We would be sort of forced to do that at a hotel or at a ballroom or something like that. And I'm also looking forward to that. I mean, in the years to come, maybe we can grow it and we have more people coming. I know there's more interest now that it's a two-day GT uh, for people to come. And maybe the fact that if it will be at a hotel or something like that in the future um, will be more inviting for more players to also come and sign up. Yeah. And it's just become, I think Scott's house is becoming such like a focal point. Like, you know, when Ronnie was in California, it was like, let's get him to Scott's house. Or it's if it's like part of the Kings of War pilgrimage. If you're on the West Coast and you're a Kings of War player, you need to go to Scott's house at least once in your trip there, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I also just think that what something that I have found in the Kings of War community that is a lot different um, 
than I've seen in others. And I don't want to say like didn't exist in others, but um, there's a really, really good sort of camaraderie amongst folks. And the game is just part of the time you're at the GT and not all of it. So all of the different sort of entertainment options, all of the great stuff that's going to be going on there um, that can be facilitated by that location and being hosted there, I think lends itself really well to this particular scene in this particular game. And, you know, it may grow and it's not probably going to be in Scott's house forever. So we should enjoy the time we have in this sort of very special venue and, and make some good memories. So, yeah. And there's something so nice about that tournament size of the between 20 and 30 you know, or between 18 and 25, where it's enough to give you that big tournament feel, but small enough that you don't have people fracture in their own yeah. separate groups so much, right? We just had it at Jeff's, right? And, it, you know, I don't know, I'm sure, I mean, I know I do know this, all of you guys, every listener, all of our, I don't know, 155 listeners, no, I'm joking, all of our listeners and everybody on this podcast will always remember what a LAN party was. And that's sort of like what that reminds me of like uh you know back in the day everybody brought their computer and everybody's bringing their army and we just get to hang out it's like a pajama party i think that's just conan themed so lots of just boxer briefs for yeah. a covered boxer briefs so lots of super nerdy dudes <laughs> doing conan impressions and you know showing off their like special conan model that they painted for the tournament because they love it so much uh, so yeah. So spe- speaking of paint, that. let's let's touch on that a little bit. I'm I'm assuming as a West Coast event, you know, we try to uh, promote all aspects of the hobby. Do you plan on doing like a? Is there a paint score, a sports score, or can you talk to us a little bit about how you're going to score the tournament? For sure, uh, that's very important to us because we've had a lot of discussion about it recently. Um, I actually reached out to the Masters Committee asking how they would like to score tournaments in terms of like what percentage should go into battle, sports, and paint. Um, out of that, a whole conversation came up of what sports should be. Most people agree on what paint should be, but or hobby, what we call it on the West Coast, or what we often call it on the West Coast, not all of us. Most people gave me feedback that they liked a, an allocation of battle points for total, let's say there's 100%. Uh, they, most people prefer 50 to 60% minimum allocated to battle points if they were to compete at a tournament. But a few polls around a lot of like people in our area and also in the Masters Council, I had a few po- a poll going asking how people do this. And most people were agreeing that battles should score for more than 50 or 60%. A lot of people were torn on sport sports. I've had people argue for 10%, 20%, and 33%. So you would value each part equally for the and we're talking paragon paragon scoring right best overall i found the formula that we were going to use that everybody mostly agreed on was 60 percent battle 30 percent uh paint and 10 uh, yeah 10 percent sports reason being also the way sports is being scored is we have a only a checklist that's not the biggest complaint i get about sports from players on both sides is I don't want it to be a popularity contest in the sense of like my opponent gets to vote for their best game. And if I'm not it, then I'm just not going to get any sports points. I've heard that complaint a lot. I've myself been on the other spectrum, whereas I scored really well in sports. Um, I've noticed that when I do better at tournaments, my sports score seems to go down. 
I noticed that when I have really good lists and I do better at tournaments, my support score is really poor. Uh, so there definitely is a lot of like, um, it's, it's a big variable and giving the extent to it of, let's say somebody can vote you into their best game didn't really seem appropriate. So uh, Kyle came up with a really good concept of how to judge sports properly outside of like it being a personality contest or you know how just how entertaining were you doing the game or something like that but more so like was my opponent on time did he play in a timely manner did he use uh the appropriate measuring tools uh, i would maybe add something like uh was my opponent polite and mindful of this being a game throughout the game not making it you know into like a competitive shit show things like that so and then there's a maximum uh, amount of points that you would allocate to that which would at the total only count for 10% of, um, of the vote for best overall. Um, so sports kind of sports score is more about giving your opponent a, a, a clean, uh, well-played, non-argumentative, just sort of like a solid game. You sort of are around those aspects of play. The, the feedback that I got most is that everybody looks at these things differently, whether it's scoring or sports or how sports should be scored or what percentage it should be. So I like to incorporate all of the opinions if I can and sort of like give way to all of them. And I think we've talked about this quite a bit. What is a good sport? And I can't define it perfectly, but I can bring it down to a lot of people care about clean play. I think if you ask them, Jeff Swan had a really interesting thing at the beginning of this tournament. I think he asked, do you care more about clean play or do you care more about a competitive game? And he allocated sports points for it, but I just like the conversation in general. I like the question in general. When you show up to the table, can you play competitively while being as nice as, you know, as nice as possible to your opponent? So he even gave points for like, did my opponent remind me of rolling a dice if I forgot it? Was it an available sports score that you could get? So like he encouraged being nice to your opponent. And I think that's that's important about sports scoring, right? Not so much can you like be super entertaining to your opponent because some people naturally aren't. And uh you know, some people came to bash face and brought a, a rough list, right? Should they be penalized because they're competitive? Should should there be ever be judged? So we had a lot of conversations and I think it was good to sort of like appropriate it by giving it a certain percentile just to make sure that people are aware that, you know, we, it can get really toxic if it's only competitive. And that was a gist I got out of sports. If it can add to people being nicer at the table, then we're all for it. And I think you did something there that's good for probably new TOs, right? Which is the poll your player base, right? Ask, you know, take into consideration feedback from the people that you want to come to your event. Right. Is is sure, yeah. You still have to make the decisions as the TO, right? But you want to try to know kind of where your players where your players are at. That makes for that makes for like a good experience for everybody if you listen to them and So I know you said uh this year it's hard capped at uh, around thirteen players, but um I think you are you thirteen tables. Some, thirteen tables. Um, twenty six players, yeah. Yeah. So Hard cap to 26 players. So are you, um, if people are interested or, uh, I think, are you going to be doing a wait list or uh, should people just reach out to you on Facebook? Absolutely. We are currently capped at 26. We just reached 26 yesterday. 
So I do not want to admit further players uh, and allow them to pay for the event. What I would say is if somebody's interested, just reach out to me and I'll put you on a wait list. We have a registration deadline of January 15. So if in two weeks your spot is not paid for, the original 26 players that I've signed up for, um, they will lose that spot. So um, at this point, I would just encourage you to send me an email if you still are planning on signing up, and we will put you on the wait list at this point. And what's the best thing we can do, Britain, for TOs when we want to go to their tournaments that I'm horribly bad at doing timely, right, <laughs> is to pay them? Sign yeah, up and hit, pay. Hit, hit your deadlines. Yes. Pay, pay on time, submit lists on time, show up on time. Yeah. Because we have an interest larger than the amount of spots open, um, I have to at some point have a deadline and say, hey, if you want to come, but four weeks before the event, you can't pay it, we have to give it to somebody who is willing to actually commit. And I think that's a good way of also making sure we have the numbers. I, I hate to have less numbers that we could have, right? And we're really shooting for 26, so... So I think we've had three three riddles of three riddles of steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've won two. Jeff Swan has won one. So he has challenged me uh, for game one this year, and oh, my no. plan is to come with a movie accurate Conan costume, but not movie accurate Conan body. So I've been making sure I've been Jeez. eating the donuts. <laughs> I've been eating the tacos so that I could uh, just wow him by my screen quality <laughs> costume. Yet shock him by my non-screen quality body so that's my game plan <laughs> basically so what's what's your costume and you know uh, oh, i can't, what, I, can't t- I, I can't tell you yet but uh yeah. it will smell authentic is all i can say so and and i'll leave it at that but there better be a really sweet wig involved in this costume uh-huh. glorious <laughs> glorious flowing flowing locks yeah, I mean, I've I've been working on the hair part for over a year. Both you and your for, little guy. Just for this tournament. Yeah, your little guy's got long hair, too, I saw in those pictures. Yeah, he has cool 70s California surfer hair, and totally. I, have, I have weird magician in a cape <laughs> hair. <laughs> That's the oh, difference. Geez. Isn't it great getting, getting older? Uh, I'm so old. I know, I know Britain sometimes has back problems. I know sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just feel horrible. And I was like, shouldn't you feel better when you wake up in the morning? Like, like, like ready to go? I just am like, man, I feel old. You know, happy to be alive. So there's that. Um, so Kyle, what are you going to bring? You, you bring in dwarves? Yeah, bring in dwarves. Do you have your list set up? Are you still working on uh, it? I, I did a recent change to it. Uh, I need to play test it first before I really lock it in, um, but I can go over if you want. Yeah, why don't you go over what you think you're going to be bringing? All right, so it's not a huge departure from uh, my previous dwarf lists. Uh, the biggest difference is I'm dropping a cannon, so I'm only down to two cannons. No longer in the cool kid club uh, with three cannons. Well, uh, we got the wooden. Yeah, but maybe, maybe you'll make friends. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Well, part of it's just uh, like it's, every tournament, it's. It, I either have cannons that just go nuts or cannons that don't do anything. Well, I remember in our game at Jackalopes in Reno, the first turn, Kyle's like, I'm oh. going to hit you with all my cannons. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, they, they went absolutely nuts. And then they didn't hit anything the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I I was like, ready to have a nice fun game. And then you're like, oh, my cannons are going to just kill your whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is Kyle. This is Kyle going for sports already. Yeah. Hey, I was fourth at Masters. All right. I want that number one, though. Two right. cannons. You, you, you drop it. You get that by dropping a cannon. <laughs> foot, foot doors with two cannons. So yeah, yeah. That's a blatant sports play. Yeah, yeah. 
it just uh, for me it's one of those things that just it's so inconsistent and I never rely on the cannons to do above average. It's always like I want I want two hits out of them and I'm good on the first two three rounds. And if I don't get that, like my army starts to not do well. Uh, but two cannons is enough to still project threat. I mean, people four people to make moves and stuff. But I added some more um, punch to uh, counter punch to my line, uh, which should help with the grind afterwards. Or if um, is uh, uh, stealthy becomes a really big thing, uh, I'm not in in the woods with that. I'm kind of you know hedging my bets a bit. And there's always the throwing dogs, so nothing affects them. Besides defense six. <laughs> How many are you taking in your list? How many throwing dogs? Uh, uh, five currently. Forty shots. That's awesome. That's a good number. I like that. Yeah. So starting off with my troop of ironclad with throwing dogs. Uh, I don't know for whatever reason I always seem to have a troop of infantry running around as a chaff piece for the longest time. And then uh, three regiments of iron guard with throwing dogs. Uh, a horde of bulwarks with throwing dogs and the brew strength. It's been an absolutely awesome unit for me um, over the years, and they just punch everything in the face and survive a lot. Uh, then I have a horde of shield breakers with the healing brew because I had five points left over. Um, got, I did this. I used to have two regiments of shield breakers, uh, and it just – they never punched hard enough, and they always seemed to get a blasted on the return. Um, so try, trying that out, that's, that's the new change. So let's see what happens. Uh, a regiment of rangers with Stangsome because they're just a solid all-around unit. Uh, two cannons. The new and improved Battle Driller. I want to say I took him before he was cool. So all you all you uh, haters out there who are now uh, followers, uh, I was the OG Battle Driller dude. <laughs> a Dwarf Lord with Wings. Uh, Berserk Lord with Blade the Beast Slayer because that's what everybody, all the cool kids do. Uh, two Stone Priests. Uh, obviously replacing Surge right into life because a little bit of heals, all the dwarves really need. Both have Bane Chant, and then one has Bark Skin, and the other one has Scorched Earth. These are also these spells could be variables to move around. But the Bark Skin thinking is that I have this horde of Shield Breakers. It's a super juicy target to punch and shoot at. So hopefully Bark Skin and Radiant Life will let them survive long enough to get to where they need to. Be. And then Scorched Earth just to kind of you know if somebody wants to bring a super hammer, I can uh, give them the bad touch with that. And then the last thing that uh, a unit I was kind of wasn't the biggest fan of, and when I got to play with them, I was like, this is actually awesome, is uh, Faber Ironheart, which is the hero special character version of the uh, Steel Juggernaut. Uh, so for an extra 25 points, you get two more, two more nerve and two more attacks, which just makes him a dump truck. He's dash 15 with defense six, large infantry character, and seven attacks, crush two, hitting on threes with a range attack. He's just he's chaff and he's a he's a flank threat. He's nimble. Uh, he can hold up things. He's he's kind of a he has a lot of punch to my lines. That's hard to deal with. So that's what I'm working with currently. 22 uh, unit strength. Sorry, uh, yeah, 22 unit strength, 15 drops. What I'm looking at. Some throwing dogs, some some shooting, some some really tough pieces. Yeah, both those hordes, Bane Chanted, can do some damage for sure. Yeah, for sure. So as you're pointing both of those cannons at the same target and you're throwing 40 dogs into them, do you sometimes like hide your face behind one of those hills and then slowly show the bird to your opponent? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I love it. It's great. 
So I'm going to be playing um, my Twilight Kin, uh, a list that I've been workshopping for a while. So my list has two Impaler regiments, one with Brew of Strength, one with Helm of the Drunken Ram. You know, the Impalers only have 15 attacks, so um, I've been running them with some movement items to help them move and attack through terrain. But they have Fury now, so they're a little bit more stick around maybe to second combat. So I wanted to go with just making them a little bit more punchy. Uh, I have two units of the Twilight Glade Stalkers, which are nice. You know, a little shooting, the wound on fours, good for anti-big defense. My favorite unit probably then is I have the Blade Dancer Neophytes with Hammer of Measured Force, um, which in this unit, I think the Hammer is just to make some really consistent. 25 attacks on threes with Elite means you're going to get a lot of hits, and that's really what you want with Hammer is like as many rolling as many damage dice as possible. Uh, two co- two troops of gargoyles, uh, two uh, regiments of butchers, two mind screeches, uh, a crone with amulet of the fireheart, uh, and alchemist curse and drain life. And I've also been running her with um, fireheart and barkskin and drain life. Like one's a little bit more offensive tech and one's more defensive. Uh, two soul banes on dread fiends, which are probably one of my favorite units in the whole pack. New units, um, they're amazing. Uh, I played Nias a bunch, uh, so the, the sort of 14, 16, 15, 17 mid-combat on a 50, I just really like that piece. Um, and then I have, to round out the list, I have Lafayette Blackheart, the special character crone, who is just amazeballs. Um, if you haven't taken a look at her, she's got a stealthy aura. One, uh, she can make a unit within 12 inches of her, as long as she's not disordered basically count as if i have elite when i cast spells against them so that's elite alchemist curse elite drain life elite fireball she's got fireball too which is nice to put on shattering um she's just a beast so that's 15 drops uh and 26 unit strength pretty nice filthy i've i've, I've stood against it enough times to say it. yeah it's pretty nice and filthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty filthy <laughs> It's it's a deceptively dirty list, much like Jeremy. Seems seems the nice guy, all warm hugs and good feelings and good vibes and growth mindset, and then it's just sticks it to you. So, uh, it's one of those lists. I, I, I like what you you've we've talked a lot about about putting someone on the clock, and the clock with this list is that most scenarios you have to go towards your enemy. And this list, the closer you come to me, the it becomes dra- dramatically more powerful. And then if you fly over me, uh, being able to turn two crones, two mind screeches on one target, basically it, it can just delete things. But it's my stuff still dies really easy. So, I mean, you get into me, you're going to kill me. Um, so a lot of my games will end up, there won't be much left. So it does have a lot of shooting, but I think that I sleep at night because most of my, a lot of my stuff's defense three and defense four, so you can kill me really quick. If so, if you if I misplay stuff or I don't target select good or I, I'm not keeping all my auras aligned, you can come into me and destroy like my whole army in one turn, basically. So, um, no, and while being destroyed, like utterly, I mean, we've talked about this. Like my nature is probably a really bad matchup, although on top of my nature not being really good for this meta currently. I run a lot of monsters and have a lot of points and unit strength that you can remove really quickly, right? I mean, I have very little unit strength and points that you can remove really quickly, such as like Fire Elemental or Earth Elemental, things like that. But 
I found the synergies in your list are super fun to play against. So like what LaFayle does with like all the defense three and defense four against shooting while you have a lot of shooting yourself. You know, the Alchemist Curse worked really well against you not really having much crushing in the list anywhere. You have one or two crushed two units, right? Yeah. Not even that. Yeah, yeah, you have the Butcher. and Butchers have crushed two and the the Impalers have, uh, one has TC1 and one has Brew Strength, so. Yeah, they're meant to die and give you the charges you want, right? So like, you you don't have much access to even CS2 or plus CS2, so. I think it's really nice that you have those tools and the synergies is nice to play against, um, but it is pretty dirty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea is that not any one thing's going to get you, but it's it's a little shooting, dread from the soul banes on dread fiends, plus the drain life, plus it's like all these little thousand cuts that if, you know, you can overwhelm you pretty fast. Um, and then it has a, a lot of late game board control. If, if like my mind screeches and favorite, are alive. My favorite thing, and I, again, in my list where I have a lot of like defense six units, it seems OP, but probably against other lists it wouldn't. Um, the Twilight King Glade Stalkers always wounding on four up is amazing against defense six, right? So like that's one of the units I have to look out for right now because you have the hammer as well. And it's like, oh, there's three units you have to look out for now that get uh mm-hmm. they get defense six right so that, i think that's really powerful really good i really like to see that actually that you have units like and then neo fights are pretty beat stick i think if someone's not used to playing against like elf hordes or 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 hordes that have hit on threes with elite so good they're, they're really surprised by like mathematically how many hits you should have it'd be like oh i have 18 hits and they're like that's crazy but when you think about it i mean that unit should i mean has the upper and then with fours you know, you live by the fours, die by the fours. If you uh, roll well in that damage phase, I mean, you're pumping out, you know, 10, 11, 12 damage. Uh, and then you, if you have dread and drain life nearby, that should be enough to pop most things. But but it is very fragile. I had one game against uh, the Kyle Peaches was playing um, the new water elemental formation in order of the Green Lady. So against like defense five regeneration, it's really tough because none of my early mm-hmm. plink damage can stick really by the time I get there because I'm able to, to do little points of damage here and there and heal. It's not as bad, right? Because they got to pick one target, but when it's regen and everything that's taken damage is regening and it's all defense five, it, it, it can be a tough matchup, but, um, I'm excited. Uh, uh I'm really thankful to Brittenton to loaning me some models so that I can play the list. Um, and it's just going to be a fun event. I mean, I know I'm really psyched. And I think also, too, I know you would have loved to play Britain, but it's also cool to run an event and see people's armies and 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 chat with everyone. And then it's kind of some pressure on you, right, to not be f- finishing painting up until the last minute. Yeah, I wasn't going to have anything sort of new and interesting ready anyways. I, I probably would have either just brought a Kingdoms of Men historical list um, that only Kyle would appreciate, like a full model count Roman army or something. Um, I'm so hard right now. <laughs> uh, or, or like flipped my orcs into Riftforge orcs in some kind of half-assed attempt to update them. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy not playing. Like I've sort of said before, is these events, while I love the the gameplay aspect and I love the challenge of the tabletop game, 
so much of the event is just getting the people together and sort of bathing in that Kings of War atmosphere for the weekend. Um, that I don't, I don't feel bad at all that I'm not playing. I'm, I'm happy to just be there helping facilitate and trying to let it run smoothly so that everyone has a good time. Britain is also paint judging, so it's out. If if there's a need for a ringer, Brenton is supposed to jump in, but I almost hope that's not going to happen because I know that it's going to be like quite a lot of work on the day off. So <laughs> yeah, if if I'm ringer, I'm just going to bring like some stupid list that runs. <laughs> no, no, I want you to bring like the roughest thing you can bring. Actually, that's what I would <laughs> like for you to do. I always like the the most like punchy list you could bring just to be like. You don't get like a buy by playing the ring. You get to play like a rough loop. That's what I would like. Yeah. <laughs> Rashad cackling madly in the background. Oh, no, for sure. I want like a Brent list. I want, I want is, something that, is... that would make Jeremy go nuts. Uh-huh. Oh, it don't make Jeremy go nuts. It just won't be very good. <laughs> it will Jeremy be entirely. From, you know, he's going to make other people go nuts like he's done with me recently. Entirely, oh, God, entirely good. tilted to beat Jeremy's list and yeah. then lose to everything else to ruin his strength of schedule. Uh-huh. Well, like I said, I, I, I'm already losing to Jeff in round one, so I'll be ready for my uh, my submarine, my submarine. And you know what that you know what that guy said to? Oh, I hate him. Yeah, I don't. I love him. What did he much. say? I want to hear this. Yeah. I want to hear so, this. You know, what you know what, Jer- you know what, Jeremy? You know what I'm gonna do, Jeremy? I'm just gonna talk to talk to Sky and just have him make me a list. And so if I play it and lose, I don't care. It's not even my list. Totally, <laughs> <laughs> what Jeff would say. Jeff, my voice. So I know what he's going to do is he's going to take he's going to have Scott build him a list so that when he wins the tournament it'd be like oh it wasn't even my list guy and then he'll he'll have Scott build a list and if I finally beat him I finally beat him he'll be like oh this wasn't even my list so either way I'm screwed yeah it's like playing a child <clears throat> but those are the fun narratives about tournaments and I feel like also too our scene has finally grown that now we're having the cool narratives that go with us from event to event our master's narrative is no longer hey do you want to go yes okay you can go now there's actually rivalries and competition and you know all this really great juicy stuff building you know so i think it's going to be interesting this may be the first year that more people want to go than the eight qualifying spots so it should be really interesting What's your, what's your biggest rivalry, Jen? I want to know now, now that you mentioned it. My biggest rivalry? Yeah. Um, Everybody should share their biggest what, rivalry. What you don't actually know is that Jeremy <laughs> is full of rivalries. Mm-hmm. Like there, he has like a book of grudges, I'm sure. I don't have any rivalries. I will say that there's a lot of people who I think want to just destroy me. And, you know, but I love everyone, so... I don't. I don't want to destroy you, Jeremy. No, 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 no. I already I think, have. I already have. You just casually do it. <laughs> I, 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 I think. I think some of the Reno guys want me really bad. They just. They want me bad. But who do you want? So, who do you want mostly? That's what I want to know. Um, like if, if you were well, Mike I mean, Tyson, you were to pick a fight. Who? Uh, who do you, you wanted to fight? Well, I'll say who I, I mean. Else. I mean, you know, obviously, I love to play Kyle. I love to play Rashad and Britton. All you guys are great. All you guys are are are, are great opponents. I don't know. Is is the Beeb gonna be there at Riddle of Steel? The Beeb. Is he is is he coming? Because I owe him yeah. from the Beeb, Beeb is always gonna be at the Riddle of Steel. He's one of the okay. biggest supporters the, of There you go. Maybe if we both lose in our game one, I'll play him in game two and he'll ask me what my name is. So your mortal enemy, I like that. Your nemesis. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you was like, I wanna tell you mine. 
But he didn't okay, ask well, me to tell you. Well, okay. Well, then I'll I'll work it in. Okay. <laughs> Rashad, uh, I know that you're you you won't you won't be playing because you'll be running the event. But who is the player that you most want to uh, destroy and hear their lamentation of their women? Oh, I I will annihilate uh, Chris Kastner at some point. Uh huh. Oh, your everybody thinks he's a nice revenge. guy, but you know, you just disappeared from the hobby, and I like I have like beef with him, and he's just not around. It's not even cool. Just to like step away. It's like it's like a rapper who says like, I just I don't want to rap anymore to be an actor and shit. I don't know. Well, he it. just did. They just did an episode of Lake Swat, so he's back now, I guess. So maybe he's sensed your rage in his oh, rage. Oh, like Phoenix from the Ashes. They came yeah. Back. I love huh? that. Uh, congratulations cool. to Chris. I think he just got engaged to be married, I had heard. So congratulations to him. Uh, I met Chris Kapsner twice at two different Masters tournaments, and he beat me both times. So I'm like, Grom. I would revenge. Well, he's a solid player. I know Britain knows from New York Masters of, well, what's my last game? I have a, you know, I have an okay tournament. Who's my last opponent going to be? Right? Didn't you play him in your last round? Yeah, it's one of those where it was it was game 6, and I think they might have even done like a repairing where it was like they they paired me originally with someone and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a fun chill game." And then they're like, "Oh, repairing." And it's Chris Kopsner and it's like Oh, I'm about to get my face kicked in. <laughs> um, but no, it was a good tight game that hinged on a charge. He he should not have gotten through, but it's one of those where like you're kind of rooting for your opponent to like get that eight twice and break the unit because it opens the whole game back up and and makes it really interesting. When like if he had if he had fluffed and not gotten the eight twice, then it would have just been like punishment city. So you're sort of rooting for him. You're like, yes, I, w- I want to see this happen just for the narrative and like the, the chaos of it. But he's a good guy, good player. Um, so I hope Rashad gets to to play him again in a future tournament and lose a third time. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of like the Chicago Andrew Summers when he was like, OK, I need this to happen. This happened that this happened and this happened. And if all those things happen, I'll take my shirt off and run around the tournament. And like six minutes later, he's running around shirtless. <laughs> this is one of those like just I you know all this crazy stuff to happen, and then if it does, that's the great part of the thing about tournaments, right? Where when you're actually hoping for that to work for your opponent, you know, because it's yeah. so crazy that it's like, oh, dude, I hope that happens. And when you played someone like two, three years ago, and you ha- you get to have like a like a western moment with them again. Oh, well, 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 I mean, Jeff's my thing, just because I mean. I I played and have beat. That's nemesis, huh? Yeah, I played and beat some of the best players in the world, but I've never beat him. And I think it's there's a a combination of a lot of things as as to why where we both play reactionary armies, and he is like great solid player and all all those things. So you know that's definitely my um, my uh, notch on the belt. I'll get at, at, at some point, you know. Well, what we did on the uh, on our year in review episode, and I'm curious, I want to just run through as we wrap up the show, your guys' opinion. I want you to give me what was your favorite thing in Kings of War from 2021, so this last year. Just pick one thing. It can be whatever you want. And then we're going to do what your prediction is for 2022, so Kings of War-related prediction. It could be like a model they might release. It could be a list you think is going to be great or whatever you want. So let's go around first, and we'll do our favorite thing from 2021 in regards to Kings of War. So why don't you go first, Rashad? I'd say Riftforge, Orcs, and Halflings. When I saw those two lists, I was really excited about, like, new flavor being added to the game was my absolute favorite. Kyle? 
I'd say the change to inspiring, having everything just have general inspiring really opened up a lot of uh, army lists and play styles I think weren't available before. So I think it's just a cool thing that really opens the play field and makes the game more inclusive. Yeah, I know. Great, great choice there. And it's like the BSB is boring as hell. So now let's have things that are actually interesting inspire. So what about you, Britton? Some good ones have already been picked. And and I feel like just saying all of Clash of Kings 2022 is a little too broad. So I'm I'm going to say a very sort of specific. I think right now there have been a bunch of buffs to just various knights in the game. And I feel like Kings of War oftentimes has been the home of sort of monstrous infantry or like a bunch of other sort of units and the kind of plain human knight has had to take a backseat. And I think with improvements to Brother Mark, improvements to Order of the Green Lady, additions to other other sort of armies that the like humble human knight can make a big comeback and there could be some cool armies based around it. So if if I could snap my fingers and and have an army right now, I have one in mind, and it would be heavily knight based just for fun and theme. So that's cool. a nice one. Okay, now predictions. So we'll start with you, Rashad's. We'll go same order. So what is your Kings of War related prediction for 2022? Ooh, we're going to see a lot of shooting. That's all I'm going to predict at this point. <laughs> okay. So as you, as we kind of touched on the 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 wolves are back in Yellowstone, so we'll we'll be seeing more shooting this next year. I think so. From what I've seen so far, um, and some of the encounters that I've had is that there's a, you know, we've always talked about this, like when there's multiple stacks to a certain thing in one edition or in one like change, when you have a few things that work together in one direction, and you could argue that on both sides, right? You could say like it was bark skin added to, let's say you could add that to hammer units, right? You could make hammers better. You could make combat units better but i think overall shooting is going to be quite strong in the next few months to come i think okay. we all know the best bark skin target in the world is still tidal swarms <laughs> like they were impossible to remove before and now they're even worse yep okay kyle what's your prediction uh i'm gonna go counter rashad and say that shooting is gonna be a big thing initially and then it's going to die down and kind of break. It's going to be a similar breakdown of what we had before. It's just it's going to be potentially different kinds of shooting you'll see, you know, more f- bows hitting on four up. But there, I, I don't think it's going to become a meta-defining thing um, any more than shooting already has. It's just uh, going to be different flavors. Different armies have shooting now. Okay, Britain. I think Rift Forged Orcs Wave Two models are going to be sick. <laughs> that's my yeah. my prediction i haven't seen them yet but just like the stuff they have left to put in um there's some cool stuff that could be coming okay i need your uh, uh theme uh gladiator britain thumb up or down all cav mantic halfling army but painted a la bretonian chivalric knights um the mantic cav doesn't have so it would be the stalwart upgrade pack. But they so don't be, have... It would be all like the juggers. I'm trying to remember. They're riding dogs? Yeah, but they have like the big tower helmets, and they look very much like... I think the dogs have barding, too. But I'm not okay. sure if they have the big tabards on them, though. That's the part that they... The thing is, you need the... The tabard? For the, for the full Bretonian look, you need the, the tabards. 
Well, I, it's I just not learn the same green, without it. I, I need to learn green sculpt, green <laughs> stuff sculpting. So maybe that will be a project to sculpt my own tabards. Yeah. So you're going to do this army like five years from now? Is that what you're saying? Uh, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still one of my hobby goals for this next year is I have to decide what my mantic army is going to be. So I don't have to start it, but this year I have to pick what it's going to be. So I I like the idea of someone doing um like a Mongol or like Tartar or Cossack <laughs> halfling army because they're they're actually like sort of the best light cavalry in the game right now. So yeah, just going it. through and like converting them all up to be little halfling like Mongols. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, fellas. Um, thanks for coming on. Surge and Destroy is going strong. Any shout outs? Uh, I, I know, Britain, I, th- I think uh, you're thinking of still maybe running an event next year. Um, any any more details on that or is that still sort of in the planning stages? It is very much in the planning stages, but I'm I'm thinking of running very much in the San Diego vibe, a sort of bayside location, uh, so where you can see the water from the uh, the event venue, smaller sort of pre masters get together, where the goal is to have a, a one day tournament. It's a two-day event with a one-day tournament where everyone can play under the master's pack. And then the day two is testing and refining and changing and having pickup games and uh, you know hobby seminars or whatever else we can sort of fit in and just sort of hang out space um, to really like craft and refine your list before masters. So Love we'll it. see. We'll get some some more kind of details on that. Uh, most importantly, like what food trucks we would have and what carne asada and such. But the idea there would be less about qualifying for masters and more about giving yourself the best chance at success when you go there. Or if you're not going there, just having a great sort of hangout time with the people that are and sort of sending them off the right way. Nice. I know. I mean, as a region, our, our goals are sort of have, have changed and grown over time. And I think the West is now transitioning into a, oh, my gosh, we got to get more than the four or five of us who want to go every year to Masters and actually have a scene. And now we're getting to that point where not only are we f- sending full teams, but now let's refine those teams. You know, let's work on, you know, playing the same list or practicing lists for Masters. Let's work on our hobby. Let's work on you know, all those other stuff. So I know that's been exciting, exciting time for us as a region as we're sort of transitioning from that, you know, trying to get that critical mass to then also now trying to actually up our game a little bit. So, and the, and the idea is like, uh, I'm sure a lot of us have been in that situation. You're sort of halfway through a GT and you're like, oh, I got the wrong stuff in this list. <laughs> like, it, you know, you get three competitive games through it and, and you sort of know what the list is about. Um, so giving an opportunity to say, let's, let's get three competitive games in and then let's tweak it. Let's change it. Let's put you against a bad matchup. You didn't know let's swap out units, do whatever you have to do. So it's really like a big kind of communal tinkering session. Awesome. Well, Rashad, uh, I know I'm excited for riddle steel. Uh, why don't you tell us again, the, um, the dates, uh, how best way for people to get in touch with you, all the sort of that logistic stuff. Well, the dates for the riddle is February, uh, 19 and 20. It's a uh, president's day weekend in 2022. The location is in Lake Forest, California. This is orange County. If you wish to fly in the best airports are, uh, LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, or the John Wayne Airport. 
in uh, Orange County. Either way, if you're flying in, if you're coming from uh, out of state, we're going to pick you up from the airport. So just let me know. My email address is Rashad, spelled like my first name, R-A-S-H-A-D, N as in Nancy, A as in Alpha, at gmail.com. Um, if you're planning to attend, send me an email, tell me that you want to play, uh, and I'll sort you out with either putting you on the wait list at this point or giving you a spot on the roster if we have a drop. Uh, registration fee is $30. That includes basically food for the whole weekend and price support. We're not really charging for the venue because it's at a private residence, so we're trying to keep that low. We, we're looking forward to like a really fun event with lots of friends. We already have um, a lot of really fun players I want to say signed up. I'm really excited about that. Different players coming from different regions. And Kyle, any, any shout outs? Um, just want to shout out to the Reno crew. It was awesome going to turn up there, playing new people. And and I'm excited to go up there uh, uh, again for another tournament. It's uh, been awesome, you know, starting from my first Masters tournament where I met Rashad for the first time, even though we lived less than an hour away from each other and and jeremy and everything kind of how different our scene was from then to now and and the reno guys are a big part of it uh so it's just exciting to be in uh this part of this this uh spot in the hobby where it's i'm not looking for games i know i have games mm-hmm. and i'm not worried about what is there a tournament but there's plenty of tournaments to go to so it's just a, a really a great time to be around for sure onwards and upwards that's so nice. I love the Reno guys. It's really exciting to have them. It's like a beacon of light when you were like <laughs> surrounded by nothing for a long time. You had nothing. And now there's like people over there that are like mm-hmm. eight hours away from us. It's really nice and it's a, Cody runs a great store. I mean, that game mm-hmm. store is really uh, tons of product. I love it. He's always got good comics and stuff in there. So a really nice supportive location for the scene helps. So Yeah, and those guys are really good hobbyists. Um, and people. So like, it's really nice to have that. Well, as for the show, you know, stay tuned. we got a lot of great content coming out for you guys. We're going to be back on the army review train coming up, uh, more detailed army reviews post clash 2022. I will be working on the twilight kin with two very special guest stars, uh, hopefully to be, uh, signing on for that. Crozier's working on some stuff. Alex is working on his one episode for the year. You know, make sure to check out our Sunday night live streams on YouTube. Uh, Rob and I did one the other night, uh, a more uh, fireside chat Q&A, but we have a lot of great um, guests coming on that. We have some um, we're going to be doing another narrative workshop soon with some more information on upcoming uh, Kings War books coming out. Yeah, so just stay tuned. And as always, you know, if there's an episode you want us to do or something you want us to cover, uh, just make sure to post it on our uh counter charge facebook page and make sure you join that page if you're not on it and just hope you everyone had a great holiday i hope everyone has an amazing new year um hope everyone um set some great goals for them next year and if you don't reach your goals that's okay there's no failure just feedback but yeah i i will have my twilight can army pinned for masters i will it will happen i just keep like tony robbins i keep telling myself that Brynn, you need to dress up like Tony Robbins and then tell me I can do it. So, um, How about I dress up as a Twilight Kin? I don't know. What's what's the, the best version? <laughs> the crone. <laughs> the I'll crone. dress as a crone. 
Okay, and saying that I, I have to like always look at those pictures until I finish the army, and it yeah. will prompt me to finish the army. But uh, no, I'm psyched. Uh, it's going to be a great year ahead of us. We got a lot of events, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we, I know that some people will fly, but this year we'll have the option to drive to Masters, which is incredible. I don't even know how for my brain the process. I know some of you are flying, but I know Britton and I have talked about maybe doing some sort of road trip for our massive giant display board wankerisms we have planned. So um should be interesting. Yeah, it's the the party bus. Well, again, on that note, thanks for coming on the show today, fellas. And remember, always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 